0: Well, it's good to see you here today and to those of you who are joining us online we are so glad to have you tuned in we say welcome to uh, those of you who are scattered around the county and around the country at different points around the globe especially our friends In Nigeria, uh, we celebrate what God is doing among you there, and thank you for tuning in with us today. We're in a series right now, just a little four-week series uh, from the book of Jonah about God's mission for your life. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'll go ahead and invite you to turn with me there to Jonah. And if that is unfamiliar territory for you, I'll invite you to turn to Matthew and turn left, 20 pages, 20 pages. Matthew, we can find Jonah, maybe not so much. It's about 20 pages left of Matthew. So it's one of the ten minor prophets, and that doesn't mean that it's, it's not minor because it's unimportant. It's minor because it's short. It's just two pages and uh, four little chapters. And uh, we started this story last week. If you weren't here last week, I'll just give you a quick little update as to what's gone on. It's a, it's a relevant story for us today. God had uh, spoken to Jonah about what was going on in another country. And it was on God's heart because he loved the people in that country and he wanted to see them change their lives and turn to him. And Jonah, not so much because Jonah was a Jew and the people that God was speaking to Jonah about, they were Assyrians. And the Assyrians and the Jews, they hated each other. The Assyrian Empire was, was and had been for quite a long time the greatest empire on earth. And the capital of that empire was Nineveh. It was a beautiful city. At that time, it was a modern city of 120,000 people, but they were brutal people. I mean, if you just think of some of the the worst regimes of, of modern times, whether it be the Nazis or the Taliban or ISIS or whomever, this was... A group of people who were like that. The things that they did to their enemies. The things that they did to the people who they had conquered and and were subject to them. We don't even want to describe them in church because it it would turn your stomach. They were were that kind of brutal people. And so they had had multiple battles with the Jews. And so it was clear there was just all kinds of uh, national and racial hatred between these groups. God was burdened for these people. He didn't hate them. And so he speaks to a Jewish guy, 550 miles away, and says, I want you to go, and I want you to preach to them, and I want you to call them to repentance, and Jonah is like, no way, I don't like those people, I don't want anything to do with those people, I'm a country boy, I'm from a small town, and you're calling me to this big city, I'm not doing that, and so God's calling him to go due east, 550 miles, he immediately heads, jumps on a ship that's headed 2,500 miles due west to the far end of the world that... That they know of in that day. And, of course, in route, God intercepts him. God ordains a storm that's so bad that it's about to sink the ship. And the sailors on board are freaking out because they've never seen a storm this severe. And in desperation, they start rolling the dice to try and figure out who is the person that has brought this thing on them. There must be something supernatural in this. And they realize Jonah is the man. And they look at him and say, what have you done that you have brought this on us? And Jonah knows the whole time that he's the source of trouble such a a great reminder in chapter 1 that our secret sin, our secret baggage will always put at risk and cause suffering for the people who are around us. That was true for Jonah. And uh, so he said, it's me. I'm running from God. And if you'll just throw me off the boat into the sea. And I'm sure he's thinking I'm I'm just going to drown and that'll be the end of me and that'll end the storm. He said, it'll save you guys. They don't want to do that. But in desperation, they finally throw him overboard and immediately the storm stops everybody's going to be saved as a result of this. And it's funny, they literally, apparently, are saved, not just from the storm, but they begin to worship God and honor the God of Jonah, the one true God. They are so amazed by this thing that's happened. And in the final verse of chapter 1, it says that God had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Such a... Powerful little line there because that word appointed, we said last week, it means custom made. God loves to create custom made solutions for our problems. He is the master at custom making exactly what we need to deal with the obstacles that we just can't imagine getting around. And so that's what has happened at the end of chapter one is it concludes with Jonah suddenly swallowed up by a giant fish. And so today we're going to jump into chapter two. And we'll begin in verse 1 where it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now for eight verses, we're just going to be reading a portion of his prayer. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. That concludes his prayer. And then in verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I realize at one level, when we read the book of Jonah, we we tend to quickly want to drift into the, the natural and all the questions of, Well, now how in the world could that happen? How does that work? How do you keep a man alive in the belly of a fish for three days? Where does he get his oxygen? Where does he get his food? Blah, 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 blah. Don't get hung up on that. This is just a supernatural act. If you can believe that God speaks the world into existence, if you can believe that God raises the dead, if you can believe that God can make an axe head float, then it's not hard to believe that if God wants to put a studio apartment inside of a whale shark, he can do so. He, he can do what he wants to do, and he custom makes solution, solutions, even if it means turning the inside of a fish into a, a habitable place for a man or a woman for three days and nights. So don't get hung up on that. Don't, don't be like the fellow, I heard the story of a little girl, who she had heard the story of Jonah and the, the fish in Sunday school, and she was telling it to her... Her mom and dad over lunch when they had gone out to eat and a a skeptic overhears this and he interrupts. He says, little girl, so do you actually believe that a man could live inside of a fish for three days? And she said, yes, sir. He said, well, I want you to tell me how God could make a fish that would allow a man to live inside of it for three days. How could that happen? You tell me. And she said, I don't know. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Mr. Jonah that. And he said, "Well, little girl, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah's in hell right now?" And she said, "Well, then you can ask him. <laughs> well, don't don't be the skeptic. Don't don't get hung up on that. It happened. This isn't a parable. Jesus goes back and and recounts the story of Jonah, and he doesn't tell it as a parable. He tells it as a fact, and he compares what happened to Jonah and his." Three days in the belly of the whale to the three days that he would spend in the grave. This was real for Jesus, which means it's it's real for us. I want you to just let yourself for a moment, though, experience in your mind what Jonah is going through. I mean, is this not an awful, awful time? I mean, first of all, you're in the worst storm that you could ever imagine. It looks like there's no way to survive. When the sailors are freaked out and throwing the cargo overboard, you are in trouble, They throw him in the sea. I want to tell you, if you've ever sailed on the open ocean before, the sea is a scary, scary thing when you think about setting one foot off of the boat. A calm sea is a scary thing. It's so vast. But a stormy sea is unthinkable to, to be dropped into. It is just doom, hopelessness for him. And as if it's not bad enough that you're in the middle of the sea and it's a storm... Now a giant fish swallows you up. Can you imagine the terror of that moment? It's not like God gave him notice and said, hey, good news, I'm fixing to bail you out. No, he's fighting for his life. He's choking. He's gasping. He's describing in his prayer seaweeds wrapped all around him. He knows every breath is probably going to be his last. And now, can you imagine? Did you all watch Jaws? I mean, do you remember? It's that moment. A fish comes up out of the sea and swallows him Whole. don't you know at this point he's just hoping he's dead that he's just wanting it to be over with and now he's he's not dead he he didn't get chewed up he's in the the belly of this fish don't you know that's a smooth ride i mean it's one thing to be on a boat that's rocking back and forth what is it going to be like on a fish that's doing this i mean don't you know that's a smooth ride without a seatbelt? and he's going to spend three days and nights there in total darkness with no watch No reference of time. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate sensory deprivation experience. That is bizarre. That is the custom-made situation that God created for Jonah. And he goes from a place where he's been running from God to a place of just, I guess, depression and despair where he's, just gone down below to sleep through the storm, knowing I've caused this and I don't know what to do, to a place of resignation, just throw me in the sea and let me die. And now God won't even let him die. Can you imagine how just utterly terrifying and hopeless this must have felt? Swallowed up in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. I want to ask you, have you ever been in a place in life where the circumstances of life seem to just swallow you up? Where you feel swallowed up by the vastness of your financial challenges or a, just a difficult relational situation that just seems to engulf every part of your life where there's some problem maybe it's just an ongoing huge problem with one of your children or a major illness and just physical stuff that's going on. Maybe it's a battle with depression, fear, or anxiety that just seems to engulf every part of your life, but it seems to have swallowed you whole, and it's holding you in a dark place. With time, discouragement, depression, defeat, turns into despair and hopelessness. Now, I hope that's not where you are today. But the truth of the matter is, some of us in the room, some of watching and listening online, that's where you are now. And in reality, all of us at some points in life are going to feel a sense of hopelessness. And what I want to do today is take a few minutes to consider from the Scriptures some practical things that we can do when we're in those dark, desperate, and hopeless situations to find hope and to press on through and land at a much better place. Because here's the good news, and we'll get to this next week. I want you to be here next week, because not only are we going to next week celebrate the coming together of the two churches, but we're going to get a look next week at uh, what happens when God gives you a second chance and what you do with that second chance. Don't you just feel like, Brad, God's giving our churches, I don't know if a second chance is the right term, but it is just like a second wind that he's giving us, and we're going to see stuff that you may not have noticed before that's going to be so encouraging next week that I want you to be a part of. The point is, immediately following the darkest time in Jonah's life comes the most fruitful, incredible season of his life, immediately after this little season of three days of total darkness. So we're going to look together now, if you want to pull out your outlines, at five things that we can do, sort of five steps in moving beyond hopelessness. And and the first one is simply this. When you hit rock bottom... Look up and cry out to God. It begins with the three most important words here. Then Jonah prayed. When he was at the bottom, he prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Now, I want to just be honest about this. I know you expect a preacher on Sunday morning to tell you when you're in distress, pray to God. Like anybody who shocked to hear that. But But here's the thing about it. It's my observation that when we're in crisis, when, when you're in the, the shocking, distressing moment that's fight or flight, the adrenaline's pumping, you, you don't know if you're going to survive this, if your loved one's going to get through this. You're, you're in that moment of crisis. We naturally pray then, don't we? I mean, don't, don't you find it really pretty instinctive to cry out to God in those moments? Yes, we, we tend to do that if we're, if we're followers of Jesus. But what I've observed is when we get beyond the adrenaline, When we get beyond the crisis and we're actually in that place of gloom, discouragement, depression, despair, hopelessness, we no longer feel like praying. Prayer is the least instinctive thing that you will do. And what I'm telling you is you're going to have to make a conscious decision to go against everything that your heart feels in that moment to intentionally reach out to God when everything in you says God doesn't care. God isn't listening. Your prayers aren't getting as high as that ceiling. They're not going to change anything. That's when you need to pray. And I'm not talking down to you when I say you need to pray. That's when I need to pray. I remember so well going through the darkest season of my life and knowing that God loved me, knowing that I belong to Him. But I want to tell you, I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like reading my Bible. I didn't feel like going to church. I did all of those things. Because I knew it was what I needed, but nothing felt normal about that. Nothing felt warm, fuzzy, good about that. You know what I observed about that time? My prayers became shorter and more raw than they had ever been in my entire life. But you know the other thing that I observed? I think they became more real than they had ever been in my life. There was no flowery church talk in my prayers in that season. There was no, our most beneficent heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift and the giver. Please bless this food and the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to thy service. All that junk was gone. I hope I didn't offend you by calling that junk, but you know what I'm talking about. We love sometimes to pray like the Pharisees. We love to use the flowery language, and I don't think God's impressed in the least. I discovered that in the darkest season of my life, I didn't feel so much like praying. But when I talked to God, I talked to him really candidly. And sometimes that meant being real honest about, I hate this, God. I don't understand this. Why are you letting this happen, God? I don't get it. What are you doing? And the wonderful surprise in that was he wasn't offended. He wasn't taken aback. And my heart actually felt a real connection with God, even though I wasn't really wanting to talk to him. I mean, some of that time, I'm aware of the love of God, but I don't feel like I'm... All that crazy about what God's up to. In our times of, of darkest despair, we do need to pray. And I, I think some of us get hung up on how we feel, but some of us get hung up because our thinking is wrong about prayer. And I, and I want to take a moment and camp on this because I really do believe this trips many of us up. We we feel like it just doesn't make any sense. We've heard people, we've heard Christian people say, essentially, whatever's going to be is going to be. Whatever God wants, that's what's going to happen. And and that's so far off from how life really plays out. So much of the time, we we get messed up in the head in how we think about prayer, and so we feel like my prayer is not going to make any difference anyway, because whatever God wants to happen is going to happen anyhow. So why pray about it? And I want to clear something up for us. When you and I pray, we're praying into one of three conditions. And the problem is you don't know which condition you're praying into. Think of it this way. When you pray, there is on one end of the spectrum a set of conditions that you may be praying about a situation where, regardless of whether you prayed or not, it was so important, God just already decreed, the answer is yes. That is going to happen. And I'm tickled to death that if you want to pray for that and ask me for that and pray in line with my will, wonderful... But it really didn't change anything because it was so important. I was going to do that anyway. On the other end of the spectrum is a second set of conditions. We're praying for something, and it doesn't matter how long we pray, how much faith we bring in prayer. It just doesn't matter because God has already decreed on the other end that's not going to happen. It's not about your faith. You're praying the very best thing you know to pray. But I understand more than you do. And the answer is never going to be yes about that. And that's the really troubling one, isn't it? Because... Sometimes we could make sense of it after the fact and go, Well, I get it. Now I see the big picture why that didn't need to happen. God had a better plan. And sometimes we can step back and go, Well, some, some of why that didn't work out the way that it did was I was praying for, you know, this person to be saved. And, and at the end of the day, God's not going to violate another human being's will. And so I may have altered the circumstances around them by my prayers. But, I, you know, some things I can't make happen in prayer because it's up to God or, or God le- leaves part of it up to another person. So, Some of that we can make sense of. The really troubling thing is there's mystery about some of this side over here. That we don't understand why we prayed in faith, we asked, we believed, and it didn't happen. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know there's a second category where the answer is going to be no. But here's the thing that many of us miss. Between those two extremes is this great wide area... That I believe is most of the circumstances of life, most of the situations that we will experience, where the, the outcome is tied to what you and I do in prayer and in faith. Where God has said, I would love to act. I have all the resources and the willingness to make it happen, but I have chosen to make you, my sons and daughters, an extension of me and of the accomplishing of my will and ushering in my kingdom. And so it will happen if you pray, if you believe, if you act, and if you don't, it won't. When you read what Jesus said about prayer, he said, Little to nothing about this extreme, little to nothing about that extreme. He talked almost exclusively about everything that's in between. Where if you pray, if you ask, if you believe, it's going to happen. And if you don't, it won't. And that's why Jesus said again and again, So ask, seek, knock. The door's going to be opened if you'll do it. And the thing we have to recognize is, There are things that come along in our lives for which there is no natural solution. There is no earthly fix to the problems that we encounter sometimes. The only way it's going to be resolved is God has to step in. God has to heal. God has to restore. God has to do something that only the hand and heart of God can do. And the thing that we've got to catch in that is... Many of those things aren't going to happen unless we pray and keep praying and keep believing. You know the thing that troubles me in this is to consider how many situations I've encountered where God was just wanting to give a breakthrough. God was wanting to just do that thing that would make all the difference. And I stopped just a little short. I just got tired. I just decided, ah, it's not making any difference. Why am I even praying? Why am I believing? My prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling. How many times did I stop just short of what God wanted to do? Friends, you and I are a major part of the accomplishing of God's will. It's not that he can't do it without us. It is that he honors us as his children by involving us in the process. We are the body of Christ. We are Christ on earth. We are how he accomplishes his will in so many situations. So when you're in that dark place, whether you feel like it or not, cry out to God and continue to do so. The second thing that we learn from Jonah here is when you're in a dark situation and you're feeling that sense of hopelessness, we need to seek to identify the causes of the hopelessness that we're feeling. Now, this may sound like just a psychological exercise, but, but this has spiritual value and practical value for us. In verses 3 through 6 of Jonah's prayer, he gives us a glimpse of some of the specific things that are really troubling him. Do you ever have those times when you're, you're on the side of things that I'm talking about where it's, it's dark, it's gloomy, you're, you're feeling this heaviness, and yet if I ask you in that moment, What's the root of this? What's causing what you're feeling? Do you ever have times where you'd be like, I don't know. I don't know why I feel this sense of being anxious or or dread or just so down. I don't know what it's coming from. It's a healthy thing to stop and go, what is it that's driving my sense of hopelessness or, or just being so down? Jonah points out a half dozen different things that can be the source of our hopelessness. I'm not going to teach through these. I'm just going to speed through them. I want you to notice I'm just taking phrases from each of verses three through six. The first cause is this feeling like I'm in over my head. Well, Jonah's there literally, isn't he? He says, you cast me into the deep water. Well, in life, when you feel like you're in the deep end and your circumstances are way beyond your financial resources, your abilities to to cope or to get past that, that'll cause this kind of feeling. Secondly, feeling like I've hit rock bottom. He says, I sank to the bottom of the sea. I wonder if God let Jonah... I mean, wouldn't it just be kind of so fitting for how things work in our lives? If God let Jonah just flail around for as long as he had strength to flail around to save himself in the waves and all, and finally just let him get to that point where he didn't have any strength left to kick or to to paddle, and he's finally going down for the last time. I mean, it's, it's what he sounds like he's describing. I sank to the bottom of the sea. He's on his way down. He knows now he is dead. And that's when Orca comes along and grabs him. He's at the bottom moment of his life. You ever had that feeling? I never dreamed I'd sink this low. I never dreamed... That I would make decisions like I made and get to this place. The third thing is feeling overwhelmed or powerless. He says, everything was turning around me. I was engulfed by powerful waves that overwhelmed me. Do you ever feel out of control? Do you ever just feel like you're being pushed around by people and circumstances, but you're just drifting without direction? The fourth one is feeling rejected or lonely. He says, then I thought I've been banished from God's presence. That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? When you feel like God is a million miles away, like He's not listening to your prayers, where you just don't even know if He cares about you. The fifth one is feeling crushing fear. He says, I was scared to death, afraid I was drowning with water choking me. Boy, fear is an awful thing to live with, isn't it? You know, the old English word for worry was weirgan, and that word means to to choke or to... um, to strangle. That's what fear will do. It leaves you with that, that sense of just choking the joy out of you. And then the sixth one is is feeling trapped. He said, I felt locked in a prison forever. It's where you feel this sense of being stuck. Like, I'm never going to get out of this. I'm in this terrible cycle. I'm in this terrible place. I'll never get out of the place that I'm in. I'll always be in this financial pit. always be in a bad place relationally. I'll always have this addiction. I'm just trapped where I am. Any of these things... Can cause a sense of hopelessness, it helps to just get a handle on, wait a minute, what is the source of this? Am I being driven by fear? Am I overwhelmed? What's going on here? And now once we identify that, the third thing is ask God for specific help. Jonah said in verse 2, I was in very bad trouble. I called to the Lord for help, and he answered me. The psalmist says in Psalm 5015, God says, call me when trouble comes. I will help you, and you will honor me. I think sometimes we feel like we have a certain amount of of credit with god you know that we have a credit limit with god and we need to make sure we don't run past our credit limit when we cry out to god like oh man i've, I've had to ask god for a lot I'm, I'm afraid i don't have any credit left and you realize that doesn't exist in god's economy he is the father who just loves to meet the needs of his kids It gives him joy for you to come and to declare what you need and to trust him to supply that. And he just loves to come through and do that. But notice one of the things that's really powerful when we come to him in prayer like that is to to pray his word back to him. I don't know if you've noticed this before or not, but the prayer that we just read in Jonah 2, verses 2 to 9, those eight verses are actually eight different passages from the book of Psalms is a man of deep faith and he knows the Word of God. And as he prays, he is weaving together this prayer that is all the Word of God. He is just praying the Psalms back to the Lord. It is amazing how much the Psalms become for us a pattern of how to pray to God. I love to just constantly read through the Psalms and use them as prayers back to God. Power is unleashed when we pray the Word of God back to Him. Part of that is that it stirs up faith in us. The fourth thing that we learn from Jonah is to focus on the goodness of God to us in the middle of our difficult circumstances. This is a real conscious choice that you have to make. And let me just say, boy, we're in a season right now when we all need to do this. Anybody in the room besides me just sick to death of of all of the bickering, the fighting, the gloom and doom. We want to fight over politics. We want to fight over racial issues. We want to fight over mask or not to mask hydroxy or not hydroxy. I'm sick of it all. I mean, I'm just, I'm at that point, don't talk to me about, you know, getting militant about one thing or another. I'm just sick to death of it. And I really think that the enemy's goal in all of this stuff is to just get us so worn down that that we become overwhelmed and and hopeless that it's just every direction we look, it's just it's conflict, it's negative, it's gloom. The future looks so gloomy. Man, we just need to take a step back. Maybe take some days off of social media, some days away from the news, and just Change the channel of our mind and focus in on the goodness of God. Tony, and you know, I'm reminded of uh, several weeks ago when the Lord gave you a dream or a vision about that, that whole deal with the suspension bridge and all of the, the scary stuff going on. But just the the direction that we as a church just need to stay focused on Him and keep our eyes on Him and stop focusing on everything else and just... It is about the goodness of God. It's amazing how much that changes your perspective. Brad, it's the charge that you were giving to us this morning with everything that's happening to just pause and remember. But Jesus is still Lord. His kingdom still wins. We're on the winning side. The kingdom of God, is it trying to just hang on for a few more days or a few more years until Jesus comes back and wipes out all this bad stuff? No! We are the representation of Jesus in the world. We walk full of the Holy Spirit. We walk with the power and authority that Jesus had. You don't scare us with disease. You don't scare us with talks of riots. You don't scare me by telling me this person or that person is going to be president. Do you think for a minute that that is going to hinder the advancement of the kingdom of God? How dare we get all worked up in a lather over politics? Who are we? We're made of stronger stuff than that. Jesus was never wringing his hands going, Oh my goodness, have you heard who the next Caesar may be? What is the kingdom of God going to do? How will we hold on until everything comes to its conclusion? No! The kingdom of God is advancing forcefully. And we get to be a part of that. And the kingdom of God ushers in justice provision righteousness and compassion and we get to take part in all of that it is the goodness of god being expressed in our lives sometimes we just need to change the channel literally and mentally and just decide i've got to focus on what really matters here and right now i want to tell you this what cnn and fox tell you is not the main thing that matters right now what Jesus is saying and doing is what matters right now right now CNN and Fox are keeping each other in business by stirring up all that is frightened and wicked in us you realize that don't you they are they are working off of our the worst part of our base natures to stir up fear and hate fear and hate fear and hate and we run to one extreme or the other, and we fear and hate whoever's on the other extreme. And they work every day to get us clearly on one side or the other. And as the people of God, we should have no part in that. And say, we love everybody on every side of every line. We have an agenda that is way, way, way beyond a political agenda. I'm not saying politics doesn't matter. I'm just saying it is way seconds. To the kingdom calling and agenda that we have. We need to get focused on the goodness of God. And the calling of God. The mission of God. In the world. And in our lives. And it's amazing how much things change. Jonah said in verse 7. My soul gave up all hope. But then I remembered the Lord. Man things change when you do that. Psalm 77 is one of my favorite psalms. It's one of the lament psalms. Asaph is the writer of the 77th psalm he was a leader of worship in israel and it's one of those when you read it if you're if you're not going through a dark time you may first be a little shocked by it because asaph is in a dark time he is in the dark night of the soul and he's just being real honest as he opens that psalm about where he is he's like you know I, i tried this and i tried that and quite honestly god i got to the point when i thought of you i just groaned i wasn't real happy with you You wouldn't even let me sleep, God. I mean, at the very least, just let me sleep and get some relief. You wouldn't even let me do that, God. But what he goes on to say in the course of that psalm is, so I got to the place, you know, I asked God some really hard questions. Has God just forgotten how to be merciful? Is God, is his love just clean gone forever? He's asking really hard questions of God, but he finally makes this appeal. He says, I finally decided to remember my song in the night. To remember the years of long ago. And then he begins to rehearse those things. You know what? I do remember when. I remember when God did this. And I remember when God did that. And I know that God came through in this situation. And he starts rehearsing God-defined history. And you can just hear it in his words. He goes from the lowest point to a completely different point. How does he get there? He makes a conscious choice. I'm going to stop thinking only about how I feel and the difficulty of my circumstances. And I'm going to begin to remember God and who He is and what He's done. And even if I can't see Him or feel Him right now, I can remember. I remember how good He's been. I remember His kindness toward me back when. And if He did that and that and that and this for me, then would He give up on me now? Of course He wouldn't. Remember the goodness of God to you. And then fifth and finally, express gratitude to God in advance. Now, let me make an important point to you here. The difference between gratitude expressed in advance and gratitude expressed after the fact. You know, when you've been in a bad bind, been in a bad place... And God comes through. You were in a financial hole you could never get out of, and then God makes a way, and you're out of it. You thought you'd never get a job. You've been jobless forever, and then God gives you the best job you've ever had. Whatever. he, He heals the relationship that could never be healed. When you're on the other side of that, and you express gratitude to God, that's cool. That's just called Thanksgiving. Lost folks are good at that. I mean, we all know how to do that. When God has just blessed your socks off and solved your problems, how hard is it to go, whew? Thank you, Jesus. You are good. You are good. That's just being thankful. But when you express gratitude before you see any ray of light, when you're still in that financial pit and you're going, Thank you, Jesus, that you supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. Thank you that you're going to provide everything I need till the day that I die. That's faith. That's not just thankfulness. That's faith when you thank god for his provision for whatever it is that you're needing and you don't see how it's going to come that is you activating faith and this is a big part of getting out of a dark place gratitude expressing gratitude is one of the most powerful antidepressants that there is in the world saying thank you to god for what you need for him to do even before he's done it is a declaration of your faith and Jonah names three specific ways for us to do that. He says, but I will sing praises to you, I will offer you a sacrifice, and I will do what I have promised. I want you to notice those three. Let that be a pattern for you. First of all, three ways to express gratitude to God in advance. The first one is through singing. Now, I think as guys, we get hung up on this. I don't know if we're trying to look cool or what, but I think as guys, we we all are afraid of how we're going to sound, how we're going to look. And a lot of us can't carry a tune in a bucket if we tried. You know, we just aren't musicians. And so we come to church, and we just try and look kind of stoic while the music stuff's going on, and we're just going to survive that and get, get to the message. That's why I are i will tell you, we're missing the good stuff if we don't sing the praise of God when we're together, when we're just going through life. Singing, actually—I mean, they've done psychological studies on this. Singing has a healing effect in your soul, in your mind. And singing praise to God has a powerful effect on us. Jackie, she's not here today. She's in Oregon visiting her oldest son. But uh, a week or so ago, she was having a very difficult day. It was not any of her making, but just some stuff landed on her that was really hard. Just one of those days that would challenge any of us. And she was feeling the weight of it. And it was, it was almost dark. Late in the day, and I I knew she was just stressed out and and just feeling so heavy about it. And she looked at me and said, I need to take a walk. Now, a lot of times we go for walks together, but the married folks can appreciate that moment. You know that's that moment when you realize this is not an invitation for us to go take a walk together. That is a polite instruction. Stay seated where you are. I'm leaving to go take a walk. She made that announcement. I need to take a walk. said, I'll see you in a bit. She heads out the door. And I mean, you could just see it on every part of her. Boy, she was as heavy and stressed. And she stays gone for an hour or more. We've got the little three and a half mile loop that we make in our neighborhood. It takes about an hour. She comes back. She walks in, and it's like a different person's walking in. Or you can just see it on her face. The load has lifted, and I'm like I don't know whether to ask her, just to let this unfold. So I just kind of let it go. And in a little bit, she she tells me she's like, man. That just made all the difference in the world. She's like, I know if anybody was around me while I was walking, they probably thought I was crazy. She said, I just put my headphones in and I just was singing and just worshiping the Lord while I'm going around the neighborhood. And the longer that I walked and the longer that I worshipped, the more it just lifted off of me. And she said, there, there was one song in particular that I just kept singing and that just, just kept lifting my heart. And it's that wonderful Hillsong song. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. Nothing compares to this. The name of Jesus. And as she just walked the neighborhood, just declaring the goodness of Jesus and the power of Jesus' name, all of that heaviness began to lift. Circumstances didn't change one bit. But her heart and her perspective changed as she sang praise to the name of Jesus. The second thing that you do is you go ahead and, and give, show gratitude to Him by giving back to God. So much of what stresses us is finances and worry about finances and security. And we carry around all these good intentions about what we're going to do, but I want to tell you one of the best things that you can do, especially when that's what's going on with you, is you just give. And we try and comfort ourselves and say, well, when I get out of this hole, I'm going to be real generous and I'm going to give. And what I'm telling you is there's no faith involved in that. There's nothing that particularly honors the Lord about good intentions. We express our gratitude to God when in a difficult time we just say, God, because I trust that you're my Father and you provide me with everything that I need. Even when I feel like I'm in a bind, you're not in a bind. So I'm going to make sure, doubly sure, that I am generous in this season. And I realize everything I have comes from you and it belongs to you. I'm just giving back to you what is already yours. So it is my joy to say, Thank you, Jesus, as I give my tithe, as I give my offerings, as I'm generous with these folks who are in need. Even though I feel like I'm in need, I'm going to be doubly sure to be generous. That is an expression of gratitude and faith. And the final thing is we express gratitude by recommitting to our mission. Jonah said, And I will do what I have promised. In the belly of the fish is where Jonah finally gave up and said, All right. I'll go preach to those pagans. I'm not going to like it, but I'll do it. Because you gave me a mission. And so I'll do it. I promise I'll do it. And the thing that I want you to know is, God has a calling and a mission for your life. And that has not changed. The devil may have convinced you, that God's not going to be able to do much through you and that whatever God's mission for your life used to be has been so scaled back or so altered because of your problems, your challenges. You may be sitting there thinking, well, preacher, you, you just don't know about about my situation. You don't know about my, my divorce. You don't know about my, my scandal, my bankruptcy, my whatever. You, you don't know how old I am. You don't know how all the physical challenges that I've got. Maybe you don't know how great the grace and calling of God are for you. Maybe the most, most important verse that you'll hear today is Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. Hear this clearly. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Everybody say irrevocable. Somebody want to define that for me? That's right. It doesn't get taken back. What doesn't get taken back? Two things. What two things? Audition participation time. This is a pop quiz. The gifts... And the call of God are irrevocable. Do you know what that means? Butch, that means if God called you when you were a child, when you were a young man, it hadn't gone away. The gifts that he put in you, the calling that he has on your life, doesn't matter what's happened between then and now. It's still there. Ken, it means whatever God put into you, whatever call he put on your life as a young man is still there as an old man Even if there have been bad choices along the way, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. What he's looking for is some men and women to say, I'm on board with that, God. Even if I'm not clear about that calling, the answer is yes, sir. The thing you're going to see next week is the fish is about to vomit Jonah out on the shore in the last verse of this chapter. And he hits the ground running clearly. Which way to Nineveh? Because I got a call on my life. And i got something to do, and it's going to usher in the the fastest, most sweeping revival you're ever going to read about through this guy who had a bad attitude because the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. I don't know where you are in life right now, but I do know this. God has a calling on your life. He has a mission for you. It hasn't gone away. And what he's looking for is willing hearts that say, God, I don't want to miss what you've got. I want to embrace that. I say yes to your calling. Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer? Father, you are good. You, you express your goodness in so many ways, but we are honored that you express your, your love and your goodness by calling us, involving us in your work in the world. And we want to be a part of that. Thank you that you reach down to us in dark places of despair and you rebirth a sense of hope and, and a future As we catch a glimpse of you and what it is that you're doing, I pray that in fresh ways you would speak into our lives. That you would renew a sense of calling and of your love and presence. Why don't you just from your heart just say, Jesus, I invite you to come in in a fresh way. Fill me. Speak. Send me. Call me. Use me. I don't want to run from you. Oh Lord Jesus, have your way in our lives. We want to live to honor you. You are matchless. You are, you are good. You are powerful. And there is no name like your name. Today we honor the wonderful matchless name of Jesus.